0: All right. Well, we are live. Hello there. Welcome to uh, the Deadly Analysis School of Dance. Uh, I am your host, Madam Noah Adam. And tonight I am joined by our lead dancer, Miss Benjamin Wormwood and uh, Madam Jim Jiminy, Jim Jiminy, Jim Jim Giroux. I think that's his whole name. Did I get that right? Yes, it is. Uh, So uh, those names took me like seven hours to think of, by the way. That's my whole day. So uh, tonight we are going to be discussing uh, Suspiria. Finally, Suspiria, both the 1977 Dario Argento film and the 2018 remake by Luca Guadagnino. Uh, And much like we did our Halloween, uh, you know, then versus now podcast, I sort of want to place a slightly heavier emphasis on the more recent 2018 film because I think it's... um, in my opinion, I think a little better built for more modern audiences. It certainly doesn't mean that it's a better movie overall than the original 1977 film, but it has less of a, a you know, giallo over this tops Italian style horror thriller vibe going on um, compared to the the original. In fact, in a lot of ways, the more recent 2018 remake is sort of the inverse. At least I would argue that. I'll maybe make some arguments for that later on. But you know, it's always tricky to compare remakes. Uh, but it you know, to add a forty year gap and then also what I would consider to be a somewhat significant difference in style of film, it's it's even a little bit trickier, but we'll do our best. We'll we'll give it the old the old Susie Bannon try Banyan try, right? Um and before I before we hop into the films, I got I ju- I want to start with this because I don't know how I don't know where I'm going to throw this in or smuggle this in once we start our conversation, but I had a dream like a week ago. I had a nightmare about this movie, and I posted this on our Deadly Analysis Facebook page, so Ben knows about this, but I don't think Jim does. So I had this dream like a week ago where the witches in this movie, the 2018 movie specifically, um, were like hunting me down. They were coming after me. They were tr- chasing me down, trying to like slice off a, let's just say a significant part of my bodily apparatus, an appendage of sorts. Like they needed it for some spell, right? And um, so they were chasing me down like this winding German road, like a bunch of witches cackling in a car. And I shit you not, guess what kind of car they were all driving while they were coming after me? A Volkswagen. And that is not a joke, I am not smart enough to make a joke like that. Like that actually, that was my brain crossing wires or something when I was sleeping with the idea of like Volk and Volkswagen or who the fuck knows. Anyway, no idea how to segue out of that. I just, I thought that was interesting. I don't know where I could possibly throw that into in this movie. There's no way to segue. So I thought I'd start by saying that. Actually, you know what? There is a way to segue. There is. Uh, Let's just say both of these films, especially the original, have a dreamlike quality to them. See what I did there? All right, this is, getting out of hand. Uh, So from this point on, spoilers, as always, like I kind of just gave you a whole bunch of spoilers, like the fact that there's witches, in case you haven't seen these movies. Um, So the original 77 Suspiria tells the story of Susie, played by Jessica Harper, who travels to Germany to attend a ballet school. And when she arrives late on a stormy night, no one lets her in. And during this ordeal, she sees another student named Pat fleeing from the school. And when Pat reaches her apartment, she's murdered, right? So the next day, Susie is admitted to her new school, but she has a difficult time settling in. She hears noises. She often feels sick. Um, And as more people begin to die, Susie uncovers the terrifying secret of the history surrounding the school. And that is, drum roll, please. There was no drum roll. I don't know why I said that, That the school is being run by witches, right? And I have the same theory about the administrators of my middle school back in the day, but that's a different story for a different time. Um, now, in the 2018 version of this movie, it's a little different, right? So here we see a young American dancer, Susie Banyan, arrive in 1970s Berlin to audition for the world-renowned uh, uh, Helena Marcos uh, Dance Company, right? And when she vaults to the role of lead dancer, the woman she replaces breaks down and accuses the company's female directors of witchcraft, Right. Meanwhile, uh, there's this other side story about this very inquisitive psychotherapist um, as well as another member of the Dance Academy who together uncover dark and sinister secrets as they probe the depths of the studio's hidden underground chambers. And spoiler alert, more witches. And super ultimate spoiler, Susie Banyan, right? That young American girl from Ohio coming to the Dance Academy is actually an ancient immortal witch named Mother Suspiriorum who has come to take over the school. A lot going on here. Just a little ton of shit happening. So uh, before I give sort of, before before we hop into everyone's thoughts, I want to do something kind of unique. Um, I want to know from Jim and Ben, which of these two films you enjoyed more. And I want to do this in the spirit of Suspiria. So let's vote kind of like they did in the remake. And the way I want to do this, let's call the original 1977 Argento film, let's call that Helena Marcos, right? And let's call the newer 2018 version Madame Blanc, right? So now let's vote like the witches. Only three of us, so it'll be interesting to see if we end kind of an odd number here. Be careful how you answer, because as we saw in the movie, if you answer incorrectly, your head explodes. So this is important, how you vote here. Uh, Okay, so Helena Marcos, older 1977 Argento film you enjoyed more. Madame Blanc, newer film. Ben. Blanc.
1: I think it's easy for me. (laughs) Blanc. Blanc. None of our heads are going to explode.
0: <laughs> I am also Madame Blanc. This is, I, yes. Wow, I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion we may
2: shit on nostalgia here, folks. Uh, that is, uh, yeah, I think that's <laughs> no contest. I think it's no contest that uh, the Luca Guadagnino film is is superior. Well, let's um, go. Why?
0: Like, what? Do, like, yeah, let's let's sure. start it off by why? What Jim? Why did you think the recent one was better?
2: Well, I first of all, I think there's a modernization of the effects effect. Uh, that, that there, There's the effect of the modernization of the visual effects and the visual style in Luca Guadagnino's work. He certainly had more of a budget to work with and he had more um, visual effect. He was able to, uh, with the technology of today, uh, more viscerally render some of the violence that goes on in, the, in this film. Um, I also think that it focuses a lot more on the relationships between women, the the women in the dance uh, troupe. I think there's um, more of a a there there's there's almost a more streamlined plot um, to the 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 remake version. Um, all of it worked for me and a lot. Uh, it, it, like every element of the film worked for me more in the 2018 version than in the 77 version. I think part of that has to do with the modernization. But I also think it it has a lot to do with the stories that these two filmmakers were trying to tell. I think the 77 version is certainly a product of its time because it's got all of the horror film tropes. That we see in, for example, Halloween coming out in seventy eight, uh, Final Girl, um, people acting stupidly and getting getting killed as a result, um, and those those activity those sort of horror movie tropes uh, is something that the genre has evolved beyond, and I think that uh, and and rightly so because those those original horror film tropes. Um, were tired even then, I I, I think, um, and they were relying upon shock value and relying upon um, extraordinary violence uh, to to shock the audience rather than something more cognitive, and and thus more visceral. Um, I think that the path to the viscera is through the brain in modern horror films. And the path to the viscera in the uh, the classic horror films is just a scary image or a, a girl um, thrashing around in barbed wire, which was, was almost a laughable scene from 2018, 2019 eyes um, as I watched earlier today. So yeah, I think that because the genre has evolved Um, because the film focuses more on its characters um, and because of the uh, the the budget and the visual effects that Guadagnino had at his disposal 2018 is clearly the superior film what about you Ben what do you think
1: yeah I mean all those things I think are, are definitely valid reasons why the the remake in this particular case is better um whenever I was watching the 77 version and this isn't necessarily true of all movies from the 70s or even 80s that I see um I just felt like it was fucking cheesy you know you know what I mean like I, I don't necessarily know if that's just because of the effects um I think that definitely has a part of it but I think that the choices of violence were poor um in the in the newer version I get the feeling that. You know the scenes where we do use violence and it is it is pretty violent in some scenes it's it's tied into more of a kind of like a hint of sort of like what's going on in the background and in the story and in the plot it serves as a plot development device for instance the use of the dance scene to show the contortion of um i, I forget her name but the other girl who was in the in the room underneath right so it's like that's that's really super interesting um some dude busting in a window and stabbing somebody like that's 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 boring you know what i mean it's like it's it's almost more like a slasher film at that point than a hmm there's something more going on here so just yeah like in in general i think the choices of violence were in the newer one just more of like plot devices compared to the old one where they just seemed like gratuitous violence um the use of music was totally different so yes we have scenes throughout both movies where they use this this sort of like volk dance like super creepy song um but in the, in the older one, like it just, it just seemed like randomly thrown in for instance, the, the beginning scene, this movie lost me immediately just because of how poorly they executed this, but like she's walking through the hallway and sometimes the music is there and sometimes it's not, and it's not clear that there's sort of like a perspective shift going on or any kind of like reason why they would need to use that technique. It's just sort of thrown in it's really just not believable. Um, it loses me. It doesn't creep me out. It doesn't set the tone for me. But whenever I hear the use of music in the newer one, it definitely does that. Like it really kind of gets under my skin. Um, I just think the the direction and like the editing, I guess, or whatever you would call it, like whatever choices went into that um, combination of visual and music were just much better in the newer version. Um, Yeah, and I feel like I could just go on and on. There's just so many examples where it was just a better, put together, more interesting piece of work.
2: Yeah, and to build on that, I think you're absolutely right, Ben. To build on that though, is there's some just Obviously, bad acting and blocking decisions in the 77 version. Um, and that has to do with you know, like uh, a character says, Tell me what's going on. Okay, fine. If you're not gonna tell me, just calm down anyway. And I'm, I think I'm quoting verbatim a literal line, and there's no reaction shot in between that. There's no like sign that the character had pursued her objective, wasn't able to get what she wanted, and then backed off anyway. So it was just this these lines on a page that were read to us rather than uh, characters, fully realized characters that are um, uh, expressing themselves and trying to get things out of the their scene partners. Um, it's it was just uh, on a basic scene and editing level. The, the 77 version didn't work on in multiple scenes whereas it's almost eye roll worth, worthy I think you're you're absolutely right when you're kind of pointing out that it's cheesy um as a counterpoint though uh, just to to kind of I'm sure the 77 the 77 version has a, uh, a 7.5 on IMDB so like the, this film has its fans. Um, and it's and so as a counterpoint, I would suspect that reviewing this film in context and with 1977 eyes, we may be we may come to different conclusions. Um, that's not, but still, it, it, I'm I'm still struggling to see where those people say that this film still holds up, though. Um, the, the,
0: the distinction is going to be, I think between those who value, I mean, and I don't see how you couldn't value this more, but the narrative sort of underlying place the film is taking you, logic maybe, um, right? It's really like a a distinction between logic and narrative versus atmosphere and shock and color and vibe, right? There is in this, in the 77 version, almost a purposeful disregard of logic And narration. I mean, you guys have both described two that I already have in my notes, the biggest being what Ben mentioned, where sound, music especially. I literally was sitting right here, I was watching it on my CRT, which has fucking booming colors compared to an LCD. Like I have a Sony XBR, like this is for like color correction, right? So color pops like you would not believe on this. So when I watched the 77, I was like blown away by the color, but then there would be sequences when the music would play as though something horrific was about to happen and then stop and there's nothing happening. And I was just super confused. I was like, and I literally, I sat right here behind me and I remember going, what the fuck is happening? Like I said it out loud, I rarely say it out loud. I was like, what is going on? I don't understand. And I think we could look at this one of two ways. We could say, hey, we just don't understand the 1977 Italian style giallo sort of comes from the yellow book uh sort of novel, or they're not really novels, they're sort of short stories. Like, we don't get that sort of style, right? Whereas a lot of people were embedded in that style. They love that style, right? Uh, typically, as a female lead, it's got a mystery to it. Um, in this case, it had a supernatural mystery to it. Um, so it's more of an expression of, uh, say, art house, artsy style stuff. In you know, And then on the other side is narration, logic, um, making sense. I, like, I feel like this is one of the more distinct examples where there's a, a fight between those two things. And you see that explicitly in the distinction between these two movies. And I couldn't help, just like you guys, but uh, vote for Madame Blanc. I, I couldn't help but feel like the later one, although I have my complaints about the later one, Jesus Christ, was it too long. Um, my understanding was they were gonna make it into two movies. Um, they were gonna have a part one and a part two. I'm so glad they didn't do that. Um, but I, you know, at least that film, I mean, there was more mystery and more push, more organic exposition, um, in that movie that sort of made it more palpable, made, made it, uh, made it more digestible for me rather. So I get what you're saying, but could someone like return to all three of us and say, well, this is a product of like Jim put this as almost like an evolution of film. Like we've gotten better at these things that the, the, the right. second film has gotten better. So instead of looking at as an evolution, where things get hierarchically better, could we look at it as um, maybe just a vastly different film style that we are not used
2: to? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was trying to get at when I was talking about trying to view these films in context. I think Argento's film would probably be seen as a uh, giant step forward in the genre at, in 1977. I mean, this was even before uh, I'm let me double check myself. I'm almost positive. yes, is this is a year before Halloween came out, John Carp- Carpenter's film and you can see similar stylistic choices uh, being done in in the 78 Halloween as in the 77 Argento film. Um, but I, so I can imagine some a film scholar, um, which I sometimes uh you know consider myself to be uh, looking at this and saying no actually considering everything that came before 77 audiences would have been shocked by the use of color the gr- gr- graphicness of the violence um the almost the gratuitousness of the violence um and uh even the tropes of the final girl and the uh highlight of a female protagonist i can imagine uh, audiences in 77 considering this to be a giant step forward however in, from 2019 eyes does that film hold up i don't think it does um but i i i am i am sympathetic to the point that uh we should we should sort of review these in context and think about what a 77 audience would have thought Um, In that sense, yes, he's doing a lot with a little. He's able to create a relatively creepy environment with nothing but some creepy music and uh, differences in oversaturated light. Um, He's able to uh, include some really uh, disturbing scenes of violence with um, very few makeup effects. Um, probably just a, a bottle of ketchup and, uh, having a dog eat at some, uh, some, <laughs> a side of beefsteak for a little while. Um, so there's, uh, yeah, I, like he's able to do a lot with a little. And in that sense, I tip my cap to him, even though as a, a whole, I don't think the film worked for me.
1: So one, one way that I would push back on that, um, well, a couple ways, so. I, I've seen a fair number, I think, of international horror films, so whenever I think of seeing a movie that's not quite like something that I would particularly be used to, maybe I think of something actually like uh, like Climax, um, filmed in a very small space overall, um, a lot of really long shots, not a lot of crazy graphics, um, dance, right? Not a, a typical plot um, development. Very deeply existential and very, I think, indicative of like what you typically see of French horror, which is quite a bit different than what we see, which has a striking lack of lack of violence. I think in most cases, and it's more about sort of like that that uh, cosmic dread. Um, you know, I can also think of like Latin American horror films, or Irish horror films, or Japanese or, or Nordic, um, and I still think in the context of maybe like something that I've not been used to in the past and maybe is a particularly new way to do certain things. I, I think I'm, I'm fairly malleable to that. I still don't find myself like able to contextualize this into a place where I think it's super good. And, and we're still just talking about the 77 version, of course. Um, I also want to call to record that uh, we have done the Phantom Carriage on this show. And we've also done the cabinet, the, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and. I feel like the effects and maybe caligari and both like and also in the phantom carriage like for that for the time periods in which they were filmed were quite advanced but in 2019 it's it's nothing right <laughs> it's quite silly um and watching a silent film i think is sort of the ultimate removal of of what you would be typically used to in 2019 as well um but i thought both of those are fantastic and it had more to do with just uh plot um i think uh, points, not necessarily like plot plot points or plot development. How do I how do I say this? It's just like a, a more interesting story. Like yeah. for for whatever reason, it just weaves together quite well. You know what I mean? Um, and the 1977 Suspiria, I just don't think it meshes together. It's like they're trying to weave a blanket, but it's there's gaps and there's different kinds of fabric and there's different colors of fabric all mismatched together, and you don't get this like cohesive hole that makes sense when you look at it. You know. I don't know, like that's the best way that I can think to put it.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I, I'm sort of putting myself in a position where I have to argue for a point of view that I don't necessarily hold. Um, I agree with you that that this film did work for me. I agree with you that it's cheesy, although I am trying to kind of put myself in the position of the film's defenders. Um, I, I I just want to make sure that at the outset of this podcast, we're not doing something equivalent to watching uh the phantom carriage and saying why isn't there so much why isn't there sound here um so that's that's kind of (laughs) that would be great i
0: wish we would have opened our phantom carriage podcast that way that would have been amazing wait a minute there's no sound who thought of this you know
2: sorry this is awful yeah
0: Yeah. well no i i I don't think we're doing that I, i i totally agree with ben um i was part of both of those podcasts and um there was like, we didn't go, we didn't have it. We didn't have anything to say through 2018. We didn't like 2018, 2017. God, we've done this podcast for a while. Um, we didn't look through goggles such that we were like, Oh, that was terribly done. Like where it's a different age now. It, it was, we understood sort of the, the, uh, I don't say the film style, but just the techniques and the limits that they had back then to film and appreciated it from that perspective. But I think the criticisms we've just sort of launched into initially with the seventy-seven piece are apt criticisms. I mean, it's uh, problems with the narrative, it's problems with the story, it's problems with the logic. It's there's issues that just make it difficult. I think even for audiences back then to follow. Um, that said, as a commenter pointed out, um, this is meant to be very stylistic and also experimental, and I think maybe we should look at it in that context too. Um, that it was meant to produce more of a mood more than a, a cohesive narrative, like a nightmare. If you think of a nightmare, typically a nightmare you have, I just got done talking about how witches were coming after my scrotum, right? Like that's not, there's a there's no real deep narrative there. It's just a bunch of cackling women in a Volkswagen coming after me, right? Like if there's color and there's mood and there's fear, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And in some ways, um, the older film has that, that sort of thing. Um, it amplifies horror through sound and through red and green. I mean, it is, um, hey, not just that. I, I now that I think about it, in the original, there's other art, artistic issues like um, not issues, actually things that are unique. So, for example, I, and if you notice in Argento's version, this almost every ceiling in every room is super high. Like, there's really oddly shaped walls, and in fact, um, was it? Um, the cabinet of Doctor Caligari, Ben, where like there was like very odd. In- yeah, it was the cabinet of Caligari where there's odd infrastructure, lots of arches in Caligari, and there's a lot of arches in this movie too. A lot of just really unnatural qualities, I guess we would say, doors that don't typically look like normal doors, even arches that are bent sideways in Argento's piece, just very different. Um, and that really, I think, pushes the idea that it's all about atmosphere and style and about sort of being involved in a vibrant nightmare as opposed to, like that is so obviously first in Argento's piece that um, maybe we could criticize ourselves for even remotely trying to look into narrative as a integral component to the film. But then the other part of me is like, well, okay, shouldn't all films have something like that in there? So I don't know, I'm not sure how to really think about this
2: yeah i mean not all films there are certainly films that are all about i mean i think of uh some of talent terence malik's work which is all about creating a mood and a feeling and it that those films don't work for me either um at a, at a certain point it does come down to taste and uh you know i did mention some of the 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 lights and colors and and um music and and how it all works as it works to achieve that mood and i think that's i think that's fair and that's about where the experiment succeeds mm-hmm. and in terms of plot narrative that's where the experiment fails so if we're going to call it experimental that's fine some like an experimental film is not a blanket uh it's not a a blanket um license to do whatever the fuck you want and just call it art. Yeah, um, that's a good point. After a certain point, you your experiment has failed, and uh, th- there are elements of this experiment that succeeds and moved the process, moved the conversation about horror film as a genre forward. And then there are um, elements of this experiment that didn't work, um, and that's so. I, I give it props where props are due, but all of the things we are saying are still valid criticisms. So. Um, I'm gonna stop uh stop putting myself in the shoes of arguments that I don't agree with, and then <laughs> we'll move on from there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I one of the things I'll give to the 2018 version is just the world building is obviously vastly superior. But I think it's because the 2018 version attempted to build a world like the <laughs> 77 version didn't really do that in any way that was cohesive. So in the 2018 version, th- we we have like. Uh, Pat's diary, which sort of has notes and details in it about the story, about the three witches, about where we're going in the narrative. A Klemperer, his uh, uh, piece in the, I mean, like his entire um, character in the movie seems to be largely expositional. He pushes the mystery forward. He is an organic expression of of the exposition of the movie in a lot of ways. Uh, there are flashbacks of Susie Banyan's Mennonite mother and the issues of dance and all of this stuff that sort of gives you more of a world to which the, the setting takes place. Not, not not just to skip the fact that they're right next to the fucking Berlin wall and the setting is unbelievably important in the 2018 movie, whereas it doesn't seem to be in the original 77. So at the very least, the 2018 version builds a more specific uh, context for sort of the, the film, to, the characters to work with gives you more of a cohesive narrative, but I don't think that, like, I don't want to push that as a positive because the 77 version was so obviously not that way that being like, oh, the 2018 version had a story. Like, that's not really a, <laughs> that's not necessarily a, like, I don't want to raise the film score because it had a narrative, it had a clear narrative in it. Sometimes clear narrative means, it can still mean a shitty narrative. But right. I, I will give it, I will give it to this one that it kept my interest, even though it was longer, way longer um, mm-hmm. It certainly kept my interest more just because I felt like it was leading me somewhere, whereas the 1977 version was just saturating me with colors. Colors, By the way, on the issue of colors, y'all, y'all notice, I and mean, this was obviously purposeful, in the 2018 version, the colors are very muted. It's the opposite. It's almost a direct inverse. The colors are extremely muted everywhere in the film, um, whether it's the clothes of the characters, the building. It's, it's often raining, which I think is an excuse to mute the colors in the movie. Uh, that was obviously done purposeful. I, I don't know if it's an homage, kind of reverse homage to Argento. But um, it was certainly noticeable. Because one of the first things you're thinking of, if you've seen both movies, is obviously 77 is all about technicolor, color palette, vibrant colors. And it is so the opposite in the 2018 version that I, I felt like it was purposeful and maybe an homage. I don't know. I haven't read anything about um, the director talking about that. But it seemed clear to me. It just seemed everywhere in the movie. So...
1: Yep. So like, I I would definitely um, agree that it does seem like exactly the opposite, right? So like, I'm thinking of, you know, yes, of course, like that that scene where you roll up on this building and it's just this weird, oddly shaped kind of like a giant red monolith standing there uh, as you approach. Whereas in this one, that's definitely not the case. It's constantly raining. Everything is gray the entire time. But I think that's that's actually quite good for the mood even. And like, okay, so like, let's say that it's, it's not even about the story, right? So let's think about just the the way that both movies build the mood with color um in the first one we i think are oversaturated with bright colors and crazy geometry and stained glass and like weird interesting shapes but whenever they're used in the newer version i do think it it stands out more so whenever you see um for instance like those crazy patterns that sort of describe the volk dance that are in in a lot of ways quite similar to a lot of the the just geometry you see all over the walls and floors in the 77 version it seems more significant it seems more interesting because it's not you're you're not inundated with it um and even thinking about the endings of the movie, so like for the entire time for the 2018 version, everything is gray and dark. And at the very end, you get the scene that is bathed in red and it really stands out. And like, it really drives that payoff home, right? And like, I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the 2018 movies sort of relies on that long buildup to this crazy kind of like mind blowing payoff. Whereas in the 77 version, again, you have all of this color and all of these interesting shapes and this this bombardment on your senses the entire time. And then the, the sort of like the climax scene it's quite anticlimactic you have the girl rolling I guess like Susie rolling up on um, mother Marcus and it's dark and you can't see much and mother Marcus is obviously there and like they have this like struggle with between her and her friend and this illusion and I guess that's sort of interesting but it still doesn't give you that you know that that moment right um yeah I don't know so it's like I, I think just in the way that they select those things it 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 just works better in 2018 (laughs) because it's not all, all you have. It's like, it's, it's placed in there specifically as a highlight among this otherwise very slow, dark and gray um, scenery.
2: Yeah. That's especially true in the dance sequences as well. The, the, the climactic dance sequences are um, all the more beautiful because of the color against the gray background. And I, I, whereas the dance sequences in climax didn't work for me all that well the dance sequences in this one did uh because they were part of the narrative they were part of the story that was being told and they were such a uh in in bas relief from the uh from the earlier gray scale background that that pervaded much of the movie um, so I I liked the Guadagnino version and its use of, it's more judicious use of color in the 2018 version. Noah, you also brought up exposition and that's a, another great uh, point of comparison between the two. Uh, we get our exposition dump in 77 from a psychiatrist to the main character, didn't really know that it was, a, didn't really know he was a psychiatrist. And... Um, outside of a building that said, conference of psychiatry or something along those lines. And in the case of the 2018 version, we get our exposition dump from a character who actually participates in the narrative. And so it undoubtedly that's a better, that's a change for the better from 77 to 2018. So in its use of color and in its use of exposition 2018, Improves upon the original.
0: Yeah, there's so many ways we could take this. I mean, so I I do wanna I wanna take issue with one thing you said, Jim, which was about the distinction between this movie and Climax. I I put some notes in it. So in case you guys aren't, uh, in case you guys are wondering, we did Climax next uh, last week. That was our our podcast last week, which is also a dance movie. Um, it has a lot. It's a dance horror movie. We've been on a dance horror kick. I feel like we should just scrap Annihilation next week and do uh, uh, Black Swan or something to keep this going or something. But. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I actually think Climax, I think the dance portions of Climax, much like Suspiria, were integral to the movie and were heavily based in the the, the narrative was heavily informed by the dancing. So in Climax, think of of the degradation over time because of the LSD. Think of how people in that movie got more, um, uh, there was more vice. Right, uh, as time went on, and the music changed. The music got more tribal. It got the beats got heavier. There were faster beats. I'm thinking of the verses scene um, where you're getting that godlike top-down perspective, and it's like eight minutes or something, and everyone's kind of dance battling. Right, that's more. It it just gets crazier from there. The beats get harder. The music gets harder um, to the point where I think in climax where the power turns off because that kid kills himself. Again, if you haven't seen climax, I'm sorry, uh, and everything turns red. Right, And the music at that point gets exceedingly freaky and you just see people kind of doing, flailing their limbs around. So I feel like the music in Climax was uh, heavily connected to the story and to the movie and, and, and pushed, I think, the degradation of the characters forward. I mean, I think that you were sort of saying that didn't happen.
2: Am I, am I wrong? Yeah, we're gonna fight about climax again. Wait, I know we us
0: just do this for weeks in a row. Let, yeah, let's keep right. every podcast <laughs>
2: from now on out, we're gonna go toe to toe about <laughs> climax. Yeah. But uh, I think
0: Susperia had that too. Like I right, like right, right, I, I think bo- in other words, I guess I'm saying both of these movies had them. I, I actually think climax ha- I think actually I think climax did a better job if the issue is going to be connecting dance to story. yeah, to the story. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so um, let's let's do. Maybe we can. Maybe I'll just revise my so that we can uh, get off of our, uh, our climax <laughs> fight again. So we can get off
0: of our climax. Yeah, there we go.
2: So we can get off of our climax fight again. I, I'll revise my point to say that aesthetically speaking if I'm just watching the dance sequences in Suspiria and the dance sequences in Climax, I think the dance sequences in Suspiria, uh, Suspiria in 2018 are far superior to the ones in uh, Climax. A- and the from an aesthetic point of view, if I'm just watching the dance sequences, I would prefer the ones in Suspiria. I think they're more vibrant. I think they're more technically interesting. I think there's more um, it, there's more attention to choreography, and it's less what I would call seizure dancing uh than than climbing. Oh, see, this is where
0: we this is where we can't fight because now yeah. it's chocolate versus vanilla, God damn you.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, I I
0: see what you did there. You turned it into chocolate
2: versus vanilla, so that we can move on to discussions of Suspiria. You
0: clever bastard! All right, yeah, Yeah, Uh, yeah,
2: we uh, we have uh, to revise the title of the video. Like (laughs) uh, Suspiria, nineteen seventy says. Seventy-seven versus twenty eighteen. Also, three hours of climax.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, if I put the YouTube video title "Also, three hours of climax," this video is going to go viral just from people wanting to see what happens well, in the video. Right. Yeah, like this. Is the, yeah, th- yeah. All right. Uh, but on the issue, of, so let's. All right. So we've we've jumped sort of into dance, right? So so uh, dance is obviously we've been on this kick in the podcast last couple weeks with dance. Um, dance is something like when you say the word dance when you think of dance I think most people think of something celebratory maybe something like I think that's kind of like the first thing that comes to mind depending on <laughs> depending on your background I'll put it that way but in Suspiria and Climax it's almost in both films I think Jim we could sort of agree there's a sense in which it's almost a cathartic release of something it is in Climax I think a Um, a release of carnality, human carnality and vice, and in Suspiria, it's a projection of power um, in in the sense that these are really connected to spells. Like if that's, I mean, we should just get into that. Like, I think there's a certain part in the 2018 Suspiria where Madame LeBlanc says that the dances are really about the space created in between your movements, right? Um, That that's sort of the power of the dance and you know, we think of dance as something that's innately physical. Um, there's an athleticism involved with it. There's a commitment to dancers. When you think of dancers, ballet dancers, um, there's a, a deep commitment, almost an obsession. Again, Black Swan. We think of like the, the sort of bloody ballerina shoes idea, um, which I think we've talked about before. There's the idea of like struggling and going through pain through the creative process to create something majestic. Um, and, and this is heavily involved in Suspiria, the idea of emptying oneself for art's sake, like for the, for the craft, right? Um, and it's interesting that that is something that is included in horror, that that, that's, that, that could be a horror film, right? I think uh, just the idea of emptying oneself for something else is a little scary, but it's interesting that, I mean, what do you guys think about dance and horror just generally? I mean, we've, there's, I would have never guessed when we created this podcast, that we'd have at least two weeks in a row where we'd be doing horror films that are ex, explicitly and expressively about dancing. That's so weird to me.
2: I think you're absolutely right, Noah. But I would also add in expression that dance is not just about celebra- celebration, um, or, or uh, you know, sort of throwing yourself into something. It's having something to say that you can, you can't put into words you can only move about and of course uh i'm incapable of doing that um of of expressing myself that way um, wait i
0: told everyone on twitter that you were going to dance for them last week and this is right, right, right i oh, this yeah, is... I, did,
2: I have taken ballet classes so that yeah. might <laughs> we'll just see how the podcast goes <laughs> how, so how many have, beers uh, in how many beers how many in this gym yay like yeah. a motherfucker um so yeah it's uh it, it, yeah i i i so i i want to go i want to talk about dance in this movie by talking about dance in another movie which okay. i hear it when people do this but i'm gonna do it anyway so fuck it. um it's uh in other podcasts not in ours we're awesome always uh but the the, the i i want to talk about a, a film called all that jazz um this was one of Bob Fosse's films. It stars Roy Scheider. If you haven't seen it, it is absolutely fantastic. And there's a moment in this film where two uh, two characters do a dance for um, the Roy Scheider character. And it, it was one of those moments when I realized the dance was in itself a language. Because this dance is all about... Sort of understanding the other character, and it's a pure expression of love between these two characters to the Roy Scheider character. Um, it's the um, everything old will be new again dance. And if you have the after this podcast, look it up on YouTube, it's just delightful. And that's the same type of it, it was, it was sort of a, a, a a a relevatory moment for me as I was watching that movie because that was the moment when I started to realize that dance was words for some people, for these characters specifically, and that this was their way of telling them just how they love the Roy Scheider character in, in all that jazz. I think that something similar is going on in the 2018 Suspiria where it's not, it's about expressing power over others. It's about expressing um a a commitment to uh an idea and to a force um that is both uh ethereal but also really visceral. I think those are the interesting aspects of the dance in Suspiria. And that's at least that's what I got out of it. Um I don't know, Ben, you haven't talked about dance yet. What do you think?
1: Trying not to jump over you guys. Yeah, no, like I I think um I think I absolutely agree with that, right? And so like I've I've said this before that um, you know, plot in a movie it should is generally very secondary for me. Um, and so like earlier on, whenever I talked about telling a story, I think that definitely includes expressions that are are somewhat beyond words. And I think it's definitely possible to tell a story through an interpretive movement, some you know, whether that's ballet or just pure interpretive dance. Um and I think it's it's really interesting how well that seems to work in horror because there's only so much you can say with words. There's only so much you can say with music. Um, there's also only so much you can say with violence. And I think dance brings just another tool to the toolkit of communications that allows us to explore things that are perhaps otherwise difficult to, to pin down and characterize. Um, so in Suspiria, I do think it's about an expression of power and of will. Um, in climax I, I do think what they're trying to express is more about that like definitely about that raw carnality as you mentioned but also a, a sense of pure terror um that one sort of dance scene in the middle where we have uh Selva I, whatever um doing her thing where she's going toward the force and I, I think that was like really just like one of my absolute favorite parts in this movie because it's not just the the background expression that's going on almost like if you were to think about, climax in the main dance hall toward the end of the movie being like flames and these people contorting themselves it is sort of like a very hellish scene um and sort of that's more like background expression whereas this in particular was telling the story of the internal state of this particular character and like guiding you through what's going on in her mind and her experiences in a way that does transcend words transcends music transcends whatever you can do with the background it's very interesting and i also want to pull in us here because where it's us isn't a dance movie right it's not a dance movie but toward the end you do get that very keen tie-in with the main story being told where you have this this communication through dance theme come up and you know whenever um uh whenever red I guess like the one that's actually red comes out and is readopted by the parents she can't talk she's encouraged to dance and then that ends up being mirrored through the other version there in the Mm -hmm. underground Um, it's just an amazing it's an amazing tie in there but it's even better whenever you get to like that final climactic scene where you see them fighting and red the the newer I guess like you know whatever the one in the suit that's actually supposed to be the antagonist I guess for most of the movie is sort of just dancing around these violent attacks and completely evading and and winning this struggle because of this this sort of like passive shadow like kind of molding to the movements of the aggressor right it's it's like this really interesting way to characterize a very cool struggle and i think it's symbolic of even internal struggle right um so yeah i mean like there's 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 really interesting ways that i think dance can be used in horror in particular um and it is because of that expression of things that can't be expressed through other modes of communication that is really interesting to me
0: yeah you're i think you guys are totally right to the extent that dance is an expression of something i mean it, it that thing to which it's expressing can be a whole host of things. Well, really all of the things we've talked about in this podcast that we all find deeply terrifying, which I think is really cool. Um, someone in the chat brought up, uh, what about the dance in Footloose, which I thought was interesting, uh, which is clearly about rebellion, I think. So that's a, that's a good point that it can be an expression of, of a whole host of different things. So to that extent, of course, it makes sense that it would be in the horror genre, just not yeah. something like on the face of it you would think like sort of prima facie dance horror, those seem to be kind of, um, don't seem to be bedfellows, but they, they really are. Um, and I think yeah. it's come out in a lot of recent horror films, which is interesting. I wouldn't even, I didn't even think about us. That's totally true. Really, really wild. And
2: three dance movies in a row, dance horror movies in a row. Um, yeah. I wonder if uh Annihilation has a dance sequence. We're gonna
0: need to look for one. I don't know. We could just say the bear was dancing. The dance. Well, I don't know. The
2: shimmer, you know, is that yeah. how that works?
0: Isn't the shimmer uh, like an actual dance? I think the shimmer is an old dance from what like, the uh if it is <laughs> right. that that's how we're tying it in. That's gonna be my intro. So
2: <laughs> right. We're the third the fourth dance movie in a row. Dance horror. Uh yeah, and in Footloose, I think it's also about a repression, especially in that warehouse dance where he's, you know. Um, anyway, uh, we're, we'll just be dancing about uh, about <laughs> these movies rather than talking about them. Eventually,
0: no, but uh, you know what's interesting is dancing is a is a huge part. Like if we just we've been distinguishing the '77 film from the '2018 film, and dancing is way more prevalent, way more key in the second movie uh, or in the in the remake. I'm sorry, um, it seemed like the se- the remake was about dance. Right, uh, there's so many damn dance sequences in the remake, and there's
2: there's actually very little in the original. Um, there's almost none. That yeah, was, yeah, that was one of my things about as I was, yeah. I watched the 2018 version first, and then I watched the 77 version. And I'm like, wait, this could be set anywhere. This could be set in a boarding school. This could be set in in an acting school. This could be set in a prison. This could be set anywhere. It doesn't matter dance has nothing to do with the plot of this movie and it was rather clear having spent some time around dancers and and ballet uh ballet dancers in the past that i would suspect that many of those people who were uh in the 77 version weren't actually dancers uh i'm going to go out on a limb there i some of them were uh, some of them were but one of them was doing a dance exercise really wrong um <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh what Let's see, what else did I want to... Um, maybe we could move on to like the portrayal of the supernatural in both of these films. Uh, right. I found that interesting as well. I thought that the, the supernatural in the 77 version was uh, so mysterious that it almost became all-powerful and omniscient until you burned down the dance studio. Uh, but in the 2018 version, it seemed like there were more... There was more attention to world building and thus there was more attention to the rules of the supernatural in the 2018 version, which I I think that's kind of that lends more credence to your earlier point, Noah, about how the 2018 version has a logic to it that the 77 version doesn't. Um, yeah, yeah, there uh, the, yeah, the supernatural
0: in the uh, in the first in the Argento movie is is very otherworldly. Um, and that makes sense considering that the entire film is otherworldly and nightmarish and supposed to not you know, supposed to damn logic to a large degree. Um, this, the remakes tend to, the remake tended to be more rule oriented. Um, uh, dancing and otherwise. I mean, I think about voting, like they were the, the we did this at the beginning, where they're voting for Marcos, they're voting for LeBlanc. There's a hierarchy, a very clear hierarchy, a very real struggle between a couple of the characters, LeBlanc and Marcos, and uh, to a certain extent, uh, Susie Bannon, who we know is Mother Suspiriorum. It's more real world, and I think that world building creates a very interesting distinction in sort of the end sequence with death and the, the sort of supernatural stuff we see. Also in the 2018 film, you get the fact that there are witches early on. Um, it's not really till the end of the original Suspiria where like the, the the cat's out of the bag. Like it's really towards the end. Whereas this movie gives it to you fairly quickly that there are witches here, you know. Um, but you can do that if you build a world in which you lead there more clearly. And also if you have like an extra fucking hour to
1: make the movie. So yeah. Yeah, like I, I, I do think that's it's quite strange how they handle that, man. Um I it's it's puzzling to me, particularly because this we keep talking about Mother Superiorum and, and not you know, whatever, Mother Marcus. Um, but just to explicitly state this, this movie was supposed to be within a trilogy of two other movies about each of the three mothers, and that's in fact what the trilogy was called, the three mothers. Um And there was even talk that perhaps there would be a fourth movie added to that to kind of like capstone and have all three of them sort of featured. But I, I really got the impression from the overall story that this was indeed supposed to be about building a world in which these three sort of like ancient, you know, magical people um, existed and, and kind of like did their thing. So there was definitely a larger world present, but there really wasn't any effort put into making that apparent. Right. And so like, I, I don't want to I don't want to say that it necessarily has to be all about the story again but whenever there is a world sort of implied in the in the larger theme of the in the, in the uh, of the, the you know the the scaffolding with which you within which you put this movie um it kind of does a disservice to ignore that entirely <laughs> you know what I mean so it's like you you assume you know that there's going to be a witches that's going to be about witches um depending of course on the chronology of the films and how they were released but when it's supposed to be kind of like that, that sort of like core elements around which everything else is built in a trilogy of movies, you think it would be a little bit more at the forefront. Now, I, I'm I'm definitely going to come out and say that I think it could work if they don't sort of reveal the magical element to the end. I think that's a good idea. That's an interesting idea. But I don't think it makes sense in this particular context, you know, like I expected world building to happen. Um, I expected kind of like that magical element to be there from the beginning. And it's precisely because this is supposed to be placed within a larger context of a story about witches. (laughs) Which one did you watch first, Ben? Uh, I watched the 2018 one first. Yeah, me too. That's interesting. I watched the Argento one
0: first, which I, which, um, I I do not recommend. I and I'm not the only, I'm not the first person to say this. Um, I've seen other reviews that were like, hey, if you if you haven't seen Argento's, watch the new one first and then go back and watch the original, because um, doing it out of order just seemed you you almost instinctively want to give the 2018 film a much superior rating just because it fits your 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 2018 slash 2019 mindset the way you view films um, comparatively, I should say. Um, Anyway, I will say that the 2018 version um, had problems. I mean, first, Tilda Swinton played too many fucking characters in this movie. God damn was that. Yes, that was so distracting. Playing um, Joseph Klemperer especially. I didn't didn't mind her playing Helena Marcos because I couldn't tell it was Helena Marcos. But uh, Joseph Klemperer, I mean, look, makeup looked okay. I was a little weird. I could tell something was off. I couldn't tell the guy had been like a burn victim at first. He just looked a little weird. But then when he talked, he sounded like a 16-year-old like girl, like I was like, I couldn't, I, you know, we're going to talk about narrative. We're going to talk about world building. We're going to talk about like investment. And I felt like that was lazy. Like why, why do that? Not only that, I read that Tilda Swinton actually asked for a penis, like a prosthetic penis to be put on her when she was playing, um, uh, Klemper, uh, which I mean, I get it. Like method
2: acting, you want to be in it, but. me At all. That yeah, surprised That does not surprise me even slightly. Uh yeah. yeah I, I I just
0: couldn't do it. I I it it took me out of the setting. I was like, that's. I mean, I I I don't know. I whatever. It just like why? Like I asked the like why? Just get another actor. Like I don't. Yeah. Why did you need to do that with? That? I think there was at least three characters she played in this.
2: So I'll I'll agree and disagree. Uh, I I'll agree that if they were gonna do that, they should have made something out of it. Like the Joseph character should have, there should have been some sort of plot reason why these two were played by the same actor. Because when you double actors, there's always, it's usually because you're trying to draw a parallel between these two. Unless, of course, it's a comedy and Eddie Murphy just wants to do everything. Um,
0: Just really quickly, which this film did in the mother of Susie Banyan, who also played death at the end. At that that was that is an example of what this
2: film did good, but we'll get into that later. So I just want to throw right. that in there. So yeah, I mean that that makes sense. And that's co- that's sort of a plot-based reason for cast doubling um in this in the 2018 version. There's no. I, I I agree that there's no reason for that. I still liked uh, Tilda Swinton's old man though. Like if I, I would watch a movie that was Tilda Swinton's old man and Tilda Swinton as the dance instructor, um, I would watch those two separate movies. Uh, but uh, combining them into one, I I was not. Uh, I, I was I was waiting for there to be a reason, and when there wasn't, I was disappointed. Um, but I like the Tilda. She's uh, she's one of the most interesting actors working today. Uh, <laughs> she is, uh, she's always willing to do some crazy shit, and uh, I, I I like her I like her as an actress. Um, and so I I liked seeing multiple Tildas in the uh, in the two twenty eighteen Suspiria.
0: One could say a Matilda. Of multiple tools, there was an uncanny valley effect for me for her playing uh, Joseph Clemper.
2: I just, I couldn't. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, just, yeah, I did, did thrown. It didn't hit me that way, but that doesn't mean that I wasn't. That I, I just was waiting for there to be another shoe dropping, mm. and the fact that there wasn't was disappointing. Mm. What were some of your other problems with it?
0: Uh, the other one that was kind of a big thing for me was I put in my notes, uh, I got the Jack Torrance vibe from Susie Banyan. And what I mean by that was I got the vibe that something was off immediately. Like, I didn't know the story of the new one, right? The, the obvious twist in the new one is that she's Mother Suspiriorum. But sort of early on, not even from watching the uh, trailer or anything like that, I just felt like there was something wrong. Like, you know, at the end when Madame LeBlanc, when Tilda Swinton says uh, during the last scene or something where death comes right before or, she says, you know, something's wrong. Like something's off. Don't you all feel it? Something's off. I'm like, yes, I felt it like an hour and a half ago. Like I felt like there was, I just, something was amiss. I was like, she's too good at dancing. She's in, way too intense uh, for a novice. Uh, she's giving more than, a, she's giving like 150% in every day. Like there's something weird, something off. So I I mean, I guess you could consider, if you were in any other person, maybe you could consider that an interesting part of the movie. But I felt at the very end, once, I was like, oh, that's it. That's it. She's Mother Suspiriorum. I didn't, I don't like having that feeling. I would have never guessed she was Mother Suspiriorum, but I knew something was there. She just had that Jack Torrance vibe, that Jack Nicholson, crazy eye, fucking, this guy's gonna kill his family. I can already tell that sort of shit from the very beginning. And I I didn't like, if I can catch that, I've said this, this is what I've said about M. Night Shyamalan movies. If I can catch the twist, you fucked up because I'm an idiot. And I don't catch things very easily. And if I can catch some things off, you did something wrong.
1: So I must be more of an idiot than you because I totally didn't catch it. Like the the ending that I was expecting to see
0: mm. was
1: more akin to the one that we saw in 1977 where you have this face off against uh, uh, Susie and uh, Helena Marcus. But I definitely didn't see where they took it. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm just like a complete utter moron. Well, no, I, I totally, <laughs> like, I totally
0: agree. So I, I had no idea where they were going to take it either.
1: Like if I, yeah,
0: I mean, if I would have guessed where they were going to take it, shit, I'd be like, well, I'm a genius. How did I, I had no idea where they were going to take it, but I guess my, I had like an intuition that something was off with Susie Banyan. Like there's something that the film's not telling me about Susie Banyan. That's it. Like nothing above that, nothing more specific than that. But. Even that I didn't want, I don't like that I got that. Like I felt like that was a mistake on the part of the film. I felt like the film was trying to express that this is a newbie dancer, who I, I shouldn't say a newbie dancer, a very experienced and um uh, talented dancer who's new to the school, who's just making her way to the top kind of quickly, or fa- very quickly. But it just felt more than that. It was, like, almost too hard of a push, I guess. So I knew something was off, but I didn't know what, right? So, yeah, you're not an idiot for not guessing this. I mean, I just – I didn't guess it either. But I just looked – there's something with her eyes. She had that Jack Nichols, like, crazy ass I'm going to kill my family shit in her eyes. And I'm like, there's something off with her.
1: Yeah, well, it was a little bit strange, definitely, in that scene where you have her um, trying to disagree with Madame Blanc, right? So it's like yeah. you come in, you have this – aura around her and this this masterfulness and this legendary status and then Susie rolls up and says well actually i think i prefer to be on the floor and like everyone kind of has that moment of like what the fuck are you doing um i feel like that's definitely one of those moments where she's pushing just a little bit too hard um and it does seem a little bit out of character even even if she's wearing like the kind of like the main character plot armor you know whatever whatever um it goes it definitely goes beyond that and just seems like hubris at, at one point Yes. but maybe yeah maybe it is just like a little too much to be believable yeah yeah i i mean
2: i i i'm not going to say that i'm smarter than anybody i just have seen so many fucking movies that i know which way the film is is pushing me and did you get that vibe though yeah i know i i kind of guess the twist but I, that doesn't mean that i'm smart and it doesn't mean that the movie's dumb and it doesn't mean that I, it doesn't mean that the movie's good if the twist doesn't get me it doesn't mean the movie the uh movie's bad if the twist if i guess the twist it doesn't uh it's sort of a another way like i got the twist in us rather quickly um, but that didn't diminish my enjoyment of the film. Likewise, I got the sort of twist in this, but that didn't uh, diminish my my like the film. Um, I think that you know she she and Tilda Swinton had a a sort of uncanny chemistry in that first dance sequence, and that was that was what sort of pushed me into understanding kind of where this thing was going um and I, I still it worked for me i think it and i think it's a massive improvement over the final girl uh cliche that the 77 version does like the idea that the main character is uh more inextricably tra- uh tied to the uh witch bullshit in in the 2018 version i think is a change for the better um it it makes the film it, it it smooths out the the plot in the film and it leaves me with more questions at the end than the seventy seven version did. but then again, I mean as we've always as we've discussed multiple times seventy seven is about mood, not plot this is about plot and mood and it's uh the 2018 has been able to do both things with uh with with adroitness I would say um.
0: I have a que- I have a question yeah, for you. Go guys. Ahead. Uh, let the the sort of the themes in this film. Let's let's maybe go down what we can draw from this. Um so one of the questions I had was uh, Germany, Berlin Wall, Cold War. Um, what was that about? It's a very distinct part of the 2018 film on purpose. Um, why do you think that is? I mean I have kind of a theory like I I think and it's a very simple theory. Like, I think that the Berlin Wall is representative of a kind of divide within the house of Mother Markham, within the house of the Dance Academy, I should say. Like, there's a a kind of obvious divide in loyalty, in commitment uh, between Madame, I should say Madame, not Mother, Madame Marcos and Madame Blanc. Um, So I saw the wall as kind of a, 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 should say representative i guess like a, a way of describing like a o- very obvious way of describing divide dividing commitment divide and loyalty what did you guys think of the setting like how the setting played such a role what do you think it represented for the film
2: i think you're right i like the interpretive framework that you offered there um i don't i wasn't able to uh it, it, the berlin wall it didn't play as much of a role in my interpretation as it did for yours.
0: Though. Well, like the social unrest, you know, right. there's there's yeah. scenes where they say, "Oh, don't worry about Pat; she's probably joined the what is it, the anti-fascists and stuff. I mean, there this is there's constant dialogue about the setting. You hear um, in the background, you hear violence happening. I think there's even a scene where you hear like, um, uh, what am I thinking of? Like, um, uh, like a ringing, like an alarm going off. Like, there's it's it's obviously. Just a distinct part of the setting. And I felt like it was so thick, it was so obvious that I was wondering what they were trying to hone in on there. Like they didn't have to do this in 70s Berlin, Cold War Berlin. You know. That's
1: true. So yeah. I
0: I yeah, I was curious what you thought. I, I I I that's all I got from it was just the idea, the very like uh um sophomoric idea of a wall being a divide between people. And I mean,
2: yeah. imagine that walls imagine divide. that walls divide. Who would have thought? Do you know wheels around too? Um the <laughs> other the other idea is that, uh, that there's there's a sense of being trapped inside this this dance studio, and that this this dance studio sort of becomes a a um a force that is keeping these characters in. Um, and and uh, perhaps that is that is another element that the Berlin Wall and the particular setting that this uh, this film has creates is this feeling of claustrophobia. And the feeling of uh, being unable to escape beyond uh, where you are. I think that's also true of the Joseph character as well.
0: I, I was going to say, I think that what you're hitting on to me was um, really the, the stuff in the film that talked about the Holocaust, um, which was Joseph Klemper and his wife. I saw kind of the dance studio as a as a, a kind of concentration camp. I mean, there are clear analogs between the two. Um, uh, the mothers, uh, all, all of them really in the dance studio are harsh. They're uh, rigid. They're overseers of all the dancers. They kill they kill the dancers uh, at, at times, right? They, they torture them. They enslave them. Um, Susie is kind of a, a, a picture of a liberator in a lot of ways. I don't want to maybe we could see Susie as a representative of like kind of the US coming in or something out of liberating people and then again she also kills a bunch of them so i don't know if that works but um the other thing is that like the term volk specifically like the dance in the film hitler used that term quite often to refer like volk means the people and so he would refer to that in his speeches whenever he was talking about his party he would use the term volk to describe party in reference to sort of their Nordic superiority, which was obviously purposeful, that that's the, I, I think that they chose that in this movie. Um, so I, like, there was no need to discuss Joseph Klemperer and his wife and the Holocaust, other than like, clearly for analog in the movie, I think. So I, I for me, it wasn't so much like the Berlin Wall necessarily, it was really that part of Joseph Klemper's piece in the movie, um, understanding what the dance studio was and how it functioned and kind of the mothers as overseers that kill and enslave their dancers. Uh, So yeah, that's, that was how I took it.
1: Yeah, I mean, like one other layer that might be added onto that. um, I think that's absolutely fascinating. Um, Mostly I think I took it as like a really just fantastic setting to sort of contrast, uh, as well as act as an analog, but, and kind of like contrast, um, kind of like the, the very sort of dreary dark, just like the weather, you have this environment in which people are choosing to come into Susie coming from New York into, I guess it's like East Berlin, um, into this very dangerous area where there's active rebellion and violence and cars exploding, um, people getting killed in the streets, uh, to come and dance. Um, and that in itself, I think is sort of interesting and novel, um, but you know, even the dances themselves, I think, sort of express sort of as much as they're about power in this movie, express a kind of sort of um, despair almost. I mean, just like the the movement themselves. If I if I were to watch these these sort of like ballets, I guess that they're putting on in their shows, um, I think they're very indicative of the kind of like the the feeling and the atmosphere and the setting around the movie, right? So if like the the dance studio training mansion, whatever, it's supposed to be the backdrop for the story that we're watching. Um, I think that particular period in Germany is supposed to be the backdrop for which the characters are sort of like watching things unfold and interpreting their own feelings. Um, but I do think it's quite fascinating to, to sort of have like, just as kind of like an over, over overtone, um, the thought of people coming together to do this, this very expressive sort of artistic human activity in the midst of utter destruction. And I think that also kind of like says something else. Um, I don't necessarily know if that was like a a choice on purpose, obviously the original story, maybe he, maybe the the director thought of this, maybe not. Um, But it is just sort of like an interesting little facet to think about. um, Maybe they feed on it. Kind of like, yeah, like sort of like coming up through the rubble, almost like a very, this is the destruction Uh, Dance is how we show our resilience, kind of thing.
0: Um, Well, it's interesting. So let's look at it this way, though, Ben. Like maybe, so you got me thinking because um, you know at the very beginning, Susie, we see flashbacks of her when she's young, pointing to Berlin, like where they're trying to study the United States, and she has Berlin circled on the map. Everything comes back to Berlin, and you think that the school is based there, and this is a place where a lot of violence is going on, and this is a this is there's dance in the middle of it. There's almost a cathartic. artsy sort of, uh, shit, what am I trying to think of? Like um, an embrace of it, like in the midst of the violence. There's a dance in the midst of all the violence. And if we think to one of the last things Mother Suspiriorum, Susie, says to Joseph Klemperer as he's on his deathbed before she takes his memory is that uh, something something to the effect that like, uh, we need guilt and shame, right? And she's talking about the school. She's, talk, she's not, this isn't like a metaphorical thing, I don't think, I think she's being literal, she's saying, we need this, right? But we don't need yours. And she takes his memory. So I think they feed off of, the witches feed off of, at least in the Mother's Spiriorum era, guilt and shame, but maybe prior to that violence, maybe prior to that unrest, uh, incivility, something like that. You know, Maybe this is something they feed off of. That just really got me thinking that, especially knowing that Susie uh, comes from a Mennonite background where dance is prohibited You know, and her mother says, uh, we see the flashback with her mother at the end that one of her mother's biggest sins was bringing her daughter into the world or something like that, like spreading her daughter as though she were a disease. There's something like that. There's something she says like that. It's very interesting that, um, and it just got me thinking like narratively, maybe the witches feed on these sorts of things. Hmm. I I have nothing else to add. I just found that like when you said that interesting sort of her origin or her origin as a dancer going to Berlin, this place of unrest and violence, and then at the end saying, you know, we need guilt and shame. I don't know. Maybe they, yeah,
2: that does kind of work uh, as it relates to the politics of Germany and uh, and the the culture of Germany post World War II, where there's there's a great deal of we are remembering how fucked up we were during the 40s, and and the guilt and shame is part of German culture post. Post World War Two, so I I think there's there's a lot in that final scene, uh, both as it relates to tying up the loose ends of the plot, and also metaphorically as it relates to German culture at the time, um, and currently still, uh, sort of like expunging themselves
0: of Nazism. Is that what you mean? Like kind of yes,
2: yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, but but there's also a a a sense of. Um, german accountability that germans believe that they need to be held that 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 they are account that they are accountable for the atrocities of that time and that there, uh there's a great deal of regret and in german culture as it relates to um to to the 40s and and nazi germany and whatnot
0: interesting we got a comment that i thought was really interesting um from byron who said uh I thought the mother's twist uh, at the end of Suspiria was very Old Testament, New Testament, um, in that Mother Suspiriorum felt like an Old Testament Virgin Mary coming, getting biblical on our followers who who have strayed from the path. That's a very interesting way to look at the ending. Um, I loved the ending of Suspiria. That was my favorite part of the 2018 version. I know a lot of people didn't but I really liked it. One of the things I didn't like was the color. Oddly enough, like that's so ironic. Like we started this podcast by going, oh, the original is all about color. It's only color, ah, who needs technicolor, right? But at the end it was almost too much the opposite way. And I think it was probably because of the violence. I don't know if they were trying to skirt an NC 17 rating or something because heads were exploding and there was blood everywhere. But I didn't like the sort of frames, like the way it was framed and the color just seemed very weird off kilter. Um, But uh, other than that, I like sort of the story component with sort of death coming and the, the sort of a recompense for sin. Um, and I, it was really not even for sin, just for just for choosing someone else who was not in who eventually was not going to be in power. And I like the idea that the actress that played death, the personification of death, to whom Mother Suspiriorum, uh summoned, was the actress who played Dakota Johnson's mom in the movie. Um, there's like, I and I, I wanted to pick your brains on why they would do that. They didn't need to do that. It's very interesting. Like, and you really don't know they do that until you see the credits. Um, and it, it might be a reach to sort of think about the idea of like, obviously that the analog would be something like a mother brings a daughter into the world. But at the end, there's this like reversal where it's the same mother destroying the world and killing other people it's a really just an odd decision to make cinematically um and from a filmmaking perspective uh which I, I don't know how much we want to reach into this but i just thought it was strange that the actress that played the mom who brought say mother suspiriorum onto the world the vessel for mother Susperiorum, became the the thing that be- became the personification of death for the witches really odd really odd to me
1: I think that goes back to the heart of the, the confusion I think that I had about how it ended um, just, just generally speaking. So maybe there was a plot point that I missed and and perhaps you guys can jump in if that's the case. Um, But so there's a lot of buildup about Susie's character and about her history and it's very integral to the movie. And it is quite interesting that the personification of death ends up being um, her mother as we're interpreting this, right? Like the same actress, I think. Um, But how does how does Mother Suspiriorum come into this? Right, um, I, I don't remember it being explained if Susie was supposed to be a vessel for this. I, from the the overarching story about the three mothers, I got the feeling that this was all three of them were supposed to be kind of like these ancient beings that existed for a while now. So like I'm I'm a little bit confused about that. Like how did how did Mother Suspiriorum and Susie become essentially the same being here? Perhaps I missed that part. But no, and, and when and when.
0: Like I, right, that's something right. the film never answers. I'm right there with you. It's one of the criticisms I have in my notes: is you never really see the clear line when that happened. Did it happen in the beginning? Did it happen when we see the flashbacks with her? Did it happen somewhere in the dance studio? You never really see it. All, all, all you really know is by the end she becomes Mother Suspiriorum or has been, who knows? And when she opens her heart, it's almost our her chest rather. It's almost like a um, I, I'm empty. Like there's a blackness, a void. I'm I'm here. Like it's Like it's almost like a, I'm fully not Susie Banyan anymore, I'm this darkness, this blackness, I don't know, it's kind of an emptying of self, which goes back to dancing, which goes back to the idea of dancing, of being integral to the art, being a piece of the art form, emptying yourself, right? So there's this sort of, this, this is dancing around this entire movie, no pun intended dancing around the entire movie, dancing around the entire movie of emptying yourself,
2: I mean, my interpretation was that the dance was a ritualistic dance that brought Mother Superiorum into Dakota Johnson. That was my interpretation of it. But the reason he-
0: I don't think the reason I don't think that happened, Jim, is the dance—the vo- actual violence in front of the audience—is um, stopped because Susie Bannion's character does her own thing. So at that, like, she fucks it up. So, sure, at that, right. so at that point, the fact that she fucked it up means, I think, that Suspiriorum is is there at that point. So it's before yeah. the big thing at the end. So, th- that's, see, see, so, so that would have been great if they would have, yeah. that would have been clear, right? Like You're talking about a way that this film might have been a little better, as if that would have happened at the end. Uh, that would have been the twist. But if the film wants you to believe this happened prior, uh, in, in more ways than just that.
2: But yeah, that's that's actually I mean, that's my criticism of the film, too, that some of the plot elements of this film, like some of the connective tissue of the plot um, is missing from this film. Or maybe I just need, you know, I I don't necessarily want a filmmaker to hold my hand through the entire plot of the film, but sometimes I do. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, that that's. Uh, when I when I give my final thoughts, it's going to be some of the plot elements didn't fully work for me, and some of the plot elements didn't fully connect with me. And I think we're we're hitting at one of the elements that I thought I had an answer to, and maybe I guess I don't. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, if we're going to give Suspiria seventy seven license because it's able to create mood and style and uh forego plot then we should offer the same olive branch to some to 2018 a little bit Mm -hmm. um that that is a film that also uh is not holding our hand through things yeah go ahead ben
1: yeah i I think i I, want to make a distinction here um it's one thing if you're trying to build a plot and then you just leave holes in the plot and fuck up the plot that you're trying to build. Um, It's another to forego plot for a more sort of abstract, um, artistic, experimental, mood building, um, almost like visual painting art type of film. Um, If you're intentionally letting that stuff go, that's one thing, but I think it's just a mistake. I think it's a flaw. And whenever whenever you are trying to build a plot, and then you just don't have elements that that line up correctly. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it's not something that's necessary, but if that's what you're trying to do, then you need to do it correctly. And and this in this particular case, I I do agree with what Noah's talking about about the emptying of the dance. I'm pretty sure for, through most of this film that they're trying to make Susie a vessel for Marcus, um, and that's kind of like what the ending is all about. Except that something else ends up being in the vessel. You know, I mean, like that's that's the best way that. I can think about this because I don't think the flashbacks are there just to, just as like filler. Like I really do think that there was this person that walked into the dance studio and then by the end of the movie, she's someone totally different. Um, and perhaps that is sort of like an incarnation thing. Perhaps it's, it's supposed to be interpreted as an evolution, but they were emptying her out for to be a vessel for someone else and then something happened that they didn't expect. Um, and yeah, that's just like the confusing part to me is that like it just sort of happens. And there's no reason why, like there's no indication that the spirit of Suspiriora is still sort of in the building. Although at one point, like you do see kind of like this scene where it's like, I think an early flash of that, that incarnation of death. Like you see something and you think maybe this is, this is Marcus, but it turns out not to be her. Yeah. yeah, You know, that's like the only tie in that I can think is that maybe that incarnation of death is actually supposed to be some type of, of indication that Suspiriora or yeah. Mother Suspiriorum is like, there in some form just waiting for her opportunity to jump in and and fuck things up you know i, I don't know um yeah yeah this, <laughs> is,
2: this is not hereditary essentially is what we're saying yeah yeah uh, that this is uh that there are some problems with the world building i yeah i i i i do like one of the uh comments that were that we had where um there was a a uh Tied to biblical allegory. And this is from Byron. He writes, um, to go biblical again. I assumed she was born an incarnation of the witch like Christ is of God. Um, that's an interesting reading of it, and I kinda like that. So uh maybe that's uh maybe that's a way to sort of you know, smooth out the plot elements of the film. But you're right, Ben. Um at the end of the day, uh the question is is whether or not this plot holds together and works for you as a a viewer and um parts of it didn't for me
0: we need to yeah so susie's going to the old testament new testament thing susie's a a liberator like mother suspiriorum is a liberator she's there to clean house right it's very uh (laughs) that's that's a very old testament new testament i think um which is interesting obviously there's there's some brutality there's brutality in the Old Testament. Yeah, let's not get into this. It's going to be a little too connected for me. I, it's going to get me off into my religious rant. Um, but uh, one, of the, one of the last few things I have in my notes that I kind of wanted to talk about was the idea of, um, and this is super quick, but really just the idea of dancing as spells. Like, um, I, I like to think of, especially in this movie, the idea of dancing and the effect that it has as like jazz, that's how I saw the dance in Suspiria, twenty eighteen. When they say the space in between the movements, the space it creates, it's like how you hear that, that that tired phrase that jazz is about the notes you don't hear. It's almost like the it's the unseen scene, um, which I thought was kind of I, that was unique to me and very novel. Um, I would be interested to know of any other films, horror films or not. I mean, it's definitely going to be horror films that have the idea of dance creating an adverse effect in the way that Suspiria did, that it demonstrably causes worldly harm to other people. Like one of the things we haven't talked about is that scene with Olga, we we, skipped, we skirted it a little bit, but that is a fucking brutal scene and that messed me up. That was visceral and horrifying and that's what made this movie a horror film like at the start to me, like that was unbelievable. You get this little thing where Madame LeBlanc, like you can almost see a little glow, a little glimmer when she touches Susie Banyan's hands and her feet and she weaponizes dance. She weaponizes. It's almost like, um, like the um, to the extent to which the skill we see in Susie Banyan, it it's reflected in the violence uh, and the hatred or the anger that the witches have at Olga for running out on them. Very interesting uh, and absolutely terrifying concept. That was unbelievably brutal. Consequently, I went to YouTube and watched the behind the scenes version of how they built that. It's wild. You should check out how they did it. It it was like a ton of work to create a scene like that. Um even worse that Olga doesn't die at the end. Did you guys catch that? She's still at, there at the end. And she asks for death. That was like super fucked up. Anyway, I'm going yeah. all over the place. But like God well, damn no, that I, was like ah,
2: thank ah. you for thank you for drawing our attention to that because that's uh that was something I was going to bring up as well is how brutal some of those scenes are. And it's all about like dance is about control well to some degree contortion of your body or moving your body um in sometimes unnatural ways and this takes that the the death scenes in this film take that to the extreme by contorting their bodies in absolutely unnatural ways in order to uh in order to torture them to death essentially or torture them not to death um and that was i i thought it was a a brilliant way of uh, melding the supernatural elements in the, of this film with the uh, artistic elements of, of the film. So in that sense, I think it works perfectly both thematically and cinematically because uh, I agree with you, those were absolutely horrifying scenes.
0: you guys have any other uh, trains of thought you want to go down before we rate the movies? Because I guess uh, we're going to rate both of them, so...
2: Yeah, I want I want to talk about the cinematography in the Guadagnino film as well. Um, I think that uh, the camera is relatively stagnant when it needs to be, but it moves when it needs to be. And Guadagnino is fantastic at creating these um, brilliant and and um, arresting images. I think that uh, this is this is one of those one perfect shot. Uh, that Twitter account where they uh, just take one perfect shot from uh, still frames from films and uh, display them. I think, tweet them out. I think this is one of those films that uh, has quite a few one perfect shots in them. I'm thinking of the dance sequences. I'm thinking of the horrific uh, contortion sequences. Um, I I think all of those work very well. And even Dakota Johnson has got this, 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 face that's able to be kind of a blank canvas in some cases where you can kind of read your own emotions onto it and uh i think know uses her perfectly i think she's a, a an underrated actress so um in terms of the cinematography and the filmmaking And uh, the acting, I think uh, there's a lot to commend in the 2018 version as well.
0: She's like, her face is like Kristen Stewart done correctly. You know what I mean? Like there's something, like you can use it.
2: Yes, that's perfect. That's (laughs) perfect. She's (laughs) Kristen Stewart done correctly. (laughs) Although Kristen Stewart's given like one or two good performances in her career. But uh, yes, I absolutely agree with you.
0: Yeah, Ben and I were talking about seeing a twenty-four. Oh, I think Ben already saw it. I was going to, but I didn't. Uh, Robert, Robin, Robert, Robert Pattinson, Robin Pattinson, the other dude from Robert, Twilight. Robert. Yeah, Patrick. the guy who get yeah he gets shit from being in that movie just like her. Um, the uh, high life, the a twenty-four film, which is going to be something that I'm going to see probably this week. I was going to see it last night, but I didn't have time. So, uh, you I'm know, looking forward uh, to
2: that too. Uh, yeah, I'm we
0: if sure it's good, we may we may do a review of it. Yeah. Um. Anyway.
2: Yeah. Well we're on the right. also kick. good in a film a couple years ago called Good Time. Um, I mean uh, actually I think it's 2017. Um great film. So okay. Mm. Yeah, uh, I'm ready to wrap up if you guys are.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean I still so- I did I select this? I don't remember who selected this, but I'll I'll start. Um I so between the two films, um, 77, I I I wanna be I want to be careful in how I rate it just because I know that I'm coming into it with a a huge 40 years of Monday morning quarterbacking right I have a very different set of eyes than Italian giallo cinema that's not my thing it's never been my thing I will it will never be my thing it is about experiment and art and sound and just the, the the technicolor saturation of atmosphere and it's all it's it's entirely stylistic but to me that was distracting and I can't help but feel it was distracting. I, j- I just can't help it. Um, it. The music was shocking when there was nothing happening. That was strange. There's a purposeful disregard of logic uh, in place of atmosphere, which if, if the balance was m- instead of like this, if it was a little more like this, I'd probably give it a higher rating. So I wanna give the 77 uh, Argento piece. This is, I'm, this is gonna be controversial, I think, because uh, it's a very nostalgic film for a lot of people. Um, I'm probably gonna give it a four out of 10 um, didn't scare me. I didn't find it very interesting. It just wasn't cohesive. Uh, the pieces that I liked were very minimal. Um, I, it was really just some of the atmosphere was kind of cool. It was, uh, I, it just like my, I expect to be even a little scared in a movie about witches and about it, mystery. I, I just, um, it just felt over the top, uh, which I guess it was supposed to be. And it was just so over the top that it didn't it didn't sit with me in any way. That was like the only film I think we've done that was less scary to me was the Lobster. I'll put it that way. We did the fucking Lobster, and that was probably the only movie that that was le- had a lower rating. Um, so I'm sorry. I, I I'm just not that cultured or that classy. I'm not. I I, I can't do art artsy art house films, and I, I, that's not me. I'm sorry. I'm very left brained. Um, and if that's if that's a part of me and it's not you, I apologize. if that's just I didn't do it for me. Um, Suspiria 2018, like we said, had, um, like the score wasn't as bombastic as 77. Um, it was grounded in reality and a little more, the world building was better compared to the atmospheric and stylistic 77 version. There were muted colors, which I thought uh, for the reasons that we talked about in this podcast were, were just a better, I like did more for me, oddly enough, than the Technicolor fucking giant, um, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of rainbow that is the 77 Argento piece. Um, but I felt like the 18 version was a, more of a thematic recreation. It had a different story, but it was, it, it was an homage. It felt, um, it felt similar to 77 in just the right amount of ways. You know what I mean? It had, um, it had a similar feeling in a lot of ways, but I think it built the world a little better. Um, and I like the fact that the remake focused more on the power dynamics of the school. There was something more logical, more left, left-brained there. Um, so I, I kind of dug that. Um, so yeah, I what I would probably give the 2018 film, I was going to score it a little lower, but after talking about it, I kind of want to score it a little higher. I mean, I would give the 2018 a, a 6 out of 10. I can't give it more than a 6 out of 10, to be honest with you. Um, it uh, There is a very specific set of things that scare me as we've talked about in this podcast it's different for jim it's different for ben it's different for all the other co-hosts like we have different concepts that scare us um this didn't have that despite having a personification of death in the film which uh, the seventh seal did that a thousand times better without blowing up heads um sometimes having a conversation about finality can be scarier than saying hey you didn't vote the right way your head comes off like i so i yeah can't give it any higher than that didn't but that's just me didn't hit my apparatus um uh, even twenty eighteen was a fairly artsy movie, and that's just typically not my thing. Um, but I get it if it's your thing. So uh, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it that score, which I think is one of my lo- actually one of my lowest reviews for either films, uh, for both of those films. Some of my lowest reviews I've given on any on any film in this podcast. So Those are my thoughts.
2: Your lowest is a one point five for the Lobster. The Lobster. Nothing will go lower than that, Jonah. You, I hope you're
0: watching because this was your movie.
2: And Suspiria seventy seven. Two is your second lowest, although you've got some 2.5s running around there. Got it. Got um, it. I'm right. a, I don't, I'm I don't
0: a, feel too I, bad. I don't feel too bad.
2: I'm on a five scale, so I, I transfer all of it. I divide everything you say by two. Uh, totally fine. Totally fine. Uh, yeah, uh, so I guess now that I'm talking, I'll go. Um, yeah, I'm going to repeat a lot of the things my co-host said about the logic associated with the 77 version. Yes, it is all about mood. Um, yes, it is experimental, but that doesn't mean that it is. It's got license to um, that, that. Just because it's experimental doesn't mean doesn't give it license to be bad. Um, and so I, uh, there's a lot that I that did, didn't work for me about the 77 version. Um, I do respect that uh, Argento was able to do a lot with a little. With just colored lights and uh, people fl- thrashing around in barbed wire like an Ed Wood octopus, uh, but at the end of the day, it was a 1.5 out of five for me. It is not a recommendation. I didn't. Uh, I didn't enjoy the Argento version. I whereas. The uh, Guadagnino version, I quite enjoyed. Mainly, like, I think it smooths out some of the story elements, although as we've talked about, the story still needs a little bit of work here and there. Um, There are elements of the plot that aren't particularly connected. Um, There are even some characters that perhaps don't even need to be there. Um, So, I, I, but as a whole, uh, when you look at the cinematography and the acting and um, the uh, the dance sequences, a lot of that worked for me. So, in a way, I'm kind of giving it more technical points than I am giving it plot uh, plot points. Um, so, for that reason, I am at a 3.5 out of 5 for the 2018 version.
1: What do you think, Ben? Close us out. All right. Um i hmm, it's kind of interesting relatively speaking yeah the older one i'm definitely not a fan of like i i really do enjoy the artier artistic um artsy stuff more than noah uh, i i would say especially um i i have no problem with that i really just think they kind of like they went for that and sort of like botched it so again like you know as, as we've kind of like talked about already um maybe it's an experimental film but the experiment just sort of failed as a whole that, you know, that being said, I could definitely see this movie sort of being picked apart um, by future films, right? And, like, I I don't necessarily have any particular examples of this, but being an earlier film where they've done some interesting things and they tried some stuff, I'm sure it could be scavenged and probably homaged in, in a number of other um, horror films down the line, Um you know some of the stuff was fairly interesting but it really just did feel like a, a slasher film to me that was trying to be kind of like creative yeah i mean like the geometry was really interesting the colors were cool um the music totally failed and i felt bored by by it honestly um so if i were to and this is all course like the 77 version right just to, to be very clear about this um and so for that one I, I would say like out of yeah um i i guess i'm gonna have to give it a, a two out of five and like i I really feel like that's still pretty high for for what it is and and the reason that i'm i'm giving it that high of a score is because there there are particular like elements that i do find really interesting about the film i just don't like the overall composition it's discordant it's it's a it's an orchestra where there are sour notes in several sections you know i mean it's just there are really great parts but it just doesn't come together that well um, conversely, I think the 2018 version is quite well put together. I really do enjoy the fact that they they use um, violence and dance and the climactic scene as highlights among uh, an otherwise sort of like dreary gray, um, sort of desperate kind of backdrop. Um, I do enjoy the fact that there are kind of like a multiple sort of stories happening all at once that sort of converge, uh, across the common elements. That's always kind of an interesting thing. Um, it doesn't always seem chronological. Obviously there's a lot of flashback going on. And I think that's, that's done quite well. Um, in this particular example of a movie, um, overall score, uh, I mean, just, <sighs> I really have to score it the way that I'm scoring it, just because it didn't necessarily speak to a fear that I have, and that's that's going to be really important for me to get the score higher than like a than like a seven out of ten or a three point five out of five. Like you, you need to have all the technical elements there. You need to check all of the boxes to get to about that level. But to get above that point, you need to be able to speak to uh, some sort of like particular theme. Uh, of fear that that I resonate with, and that just didn't do that. So while I think the the, the film has incredibly high technical merits, um, the fact that it didn't scare me at all leaves me to to rate the 2018 a 3.5 out of five. So it's interesting.
0: Uh, our top two commenters, Byron and Alex, uh, this is we're all kind of on the same page. So Alex gives a 77 version a five and a half out of ten. And then the 2018 version of five out of 10. Okay, so that's surprising. I would have figured the, so he's the only one who gave the la- the latter one less than the original. And then um, Byron gave uh, 77, four out of 10. And then the later one, eight out of 10. So it's interesting. Like the theme has been that the the later film is, is superior, which clearly uh, if this film, if you're watching this a year from now, and we have more dislikes than likes, uh, fuck you. We don't necessarily equate nostalgia to cinematic quality. Sorry. Um, So join us next week. We are doing Annihilation next Sunday night at 6 p.m. Civic Standard Time. We are going to talk about the Human Capacity for Self-Destruction and how, at least I'm going to go into that, about how that is. I just blew the whole movie for you. You know what? Don't even watch it. I'm just, you know,
2: the human no, capacity. No, watch for- it. Watch yeah. it. It's amazing. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. It's the best film of the year. Yeah. I love that movie. Watch it, the hell out of it. it watch is, it 50 times.
0: Yeah. I, look, if you made it through the 77 Argento film to be to to comment on this podcast, for God's sake, watch Annihilation. So we're doing that next week. Um, So check us out on uh, social media Facebook Instagram and Twitter. I think the week after that oh God we're doing martyrs uh, Which I'm not looking forward to as I've said week after week I'm just gonna get to martyrs and I'm gonna score it right at the very beginning I'm gonna angrily score martyrs as part of my intro Um, and then after that I'm not sure what we're doing probably raw I need to think of the new film schedule as always we're coming towards the end of our film list and we always select another five movies Um, if you have any recommendations Please not any Italian giallo films. Please um, let us know on our social media. Uh, Leave a comment on this video if there's any that you think we should get into um, that you think would be good, some that we haven't done already. Uh, And anyway, uh, we will see you guys next week at um, 6 p.m. for Annihilation. Take it easy.